0: Today, from the Global Lane, Israel advances to
1: eliminate Hamas. How the war may affect the price of oil and your pocketbook. Wars in general are inflationary, and pain at the pump is certainly something we're going to have to grapple with for a little bit of time here.
0: Move over, Joe. Is Michelle Obama about to enter the Democratic presidential race? Michelle has actually been following the exact same formula that Barack
2: did to become president. So I'm predicting that Michelle will enter the race in November, about four or five
0: weeks from now. And that's when she'll make her move. Syracuse University shuts the doors of the campus church for inclusion violations.
3: In reality, they were just holding the basic Christian belief that homosexual activity is a sin.
0: And tolerance for anti-Semitic shouts of "gas the Jews" in the land of Oz. But the arrest of a Christian man displaying an Israeli flag. You've been arrested in relation. Right, right to arrested. arrested for doing what? For what? having a flag. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Global markets are unsettled over Israel's war with Hamas. Stocks are mixed and the price of oil is up. What might we expect in the days ahead? Higher prices at the pump? Supply chain shortages? Or is the world getting used to these types of disruptions? Well, Joining us from Dallas is Brandon Pizarro. He's incoming president of Guidestone Funds, America's largest faith-based mutual fund company. Okay, Brandon. So oil prices are climbing. Early this week, they were up about four dollars a barrel. It looks like uh, the war is likely to go on for quite some time. So, what is the likely impact of this war on consumers?
1: Yeah, great question. You know, first and foremost, it goes without saying, but it's, it's worth reiterating. Just our hearts go out to the people of Israel. Uh, the tremendous uh, human loss and tragedy that's going on there is is going to take them quite some time to be even be able to begin to pick up the pieces. So. I uh, want to start there first and foremost, but certainly turning to markets. Uh, we've had oil prices climb, as you mentioned. You know, one of the biggest things here when you have one of these, you know, tremendous you know, shock events, as you might call them, is people need to initially first digest that. And that first playthrough, that bleed through is initially going to be into the oil prices. And that's where people are initially going to feel that pain. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, that pain at the pump is, is very tacit. And one of those first things that people think about when they say, is my cost of living going up? And pain at the pump is certainly something we're going to have to grapple with for a little bit of time here.
0: Well, why is the price of oil climbing? I mean, there have been no attacks on oil depots or oil ships, uh, no uh, choke point in the Persian Gulf and the Strait of Hormuz. Is this based on fear of a broader war with Iran or what? What's going on?
1: Certainly. Yeah, fear is something that permeates markets anytime you have these kind of left tail events, as we might call them, just unexpected events. And so when you have that unknown and that uncertainty, One of the things that people are first going to start to grapple with is like, okay, given the region, what's going to be the knock-on effects from there? And and given that that's a big oil-heavy region, uh, people are certainly going to run for fear, and that's going to start to bid up those prices. Um, But outside of that, you're really going to need to see what supply shocks there might be, where demand is. We've already had a lot of really interesting things take place in oil markets just because of supply and demand uh, over the last year or so. Uh, And this is just one more thing that certainly complicates that calculus.
0: Okay, Brandon, what about the supply chain? We've experienced wheat shortages as a result of the war in Ukraine. How do you expect this war may affect global markets and the transportation of food and other products?
1: Sure. Well, anytime you have uh, any war, depending on the scale, uh, you're certainly going to have a lot of people that are their first reaction is going to be to to worry about that supply chain. If things aren't just going well, so to speak, from a geopolitical standpoint, uh, that can certainly create just a whole host of unknown unknowns. And what markets like more than anything is certainty, even if it's negative news or a bad outcome, that uncertainty that's pervasive is what's really going to cause that angst. And because of that, we have yet to see what knock on effects we might have. So seeing if there's additional attacks, uh, if there's any other kind of state players that want to uh, intervene in various ways or, or, or make any type of rash decisions when it comes to those type of supply chains, uh, that's something you have to keep a, a, a close eye on.
0: And, and if Iran got involved in this in a hot war, That would be devastating, would it not?
1: Absolutely. I mean, anytime you start to have um, players that have been in adversarial standpoint between the two of them for such a long period of time, uh, if that boiled over, that certainly has much, much broader implications for allies to Israel uh, and certainly for just that entire region, uh, which has been in turmoil since the beginning of time almost, unfortunately.
0: And the United States has already sent a naval carrier group to the region, and the Pentagon says... It's going to provide munitions for Israel. The Israeli Defense Forces have requested interceptors, precision guided munitions.
1: So, is it a good time to
0: invest in defense industry stocks? I understand they're up.
1: Yeah, defense stocks are certainly up. You know, so initially, anytime you have any outbreak of, of attack or any type of unrest like this, you do see those defense contractors start to get bid up. Uh, I saw a report earlier today that one of the major defense contractors already sent 1,000 bombs of a certain type. Uh, over there to help support this effort. So you're certainly going to see some uh, uptick in some of those defense contractors' names. Uh, Wars in general are inflationary, uh, which really starts to kind of go against this disinflationary environment that the Fed and other global central banks are looking for. Um, So you see that inflation rise because the cost of production. Uh, Oil certainly uh, is is an inflationary measure. So uh, from a defense contractor standpoint, you're going to see people look to them to see, you know, just what type of demand there is for their services and goods.
0: Brandon, tell us about GuideStone. How does it differ from other mutual fund companies?
1: Sure, uh, happy to. We are the uh, nation's largest faith-based fund family. Uh, we we stand for. The, uh, the the various tenets of what a conservative Christian investor would like to have, uh, we do, do that through multiple outlets. We have not only our, our faith-based screening, which is essentially what we're standing against, uh, but also advocacy and impact efforts in terms of what we're standing for. Uh, our dollars are our way of expressing our views and where we want people to to see the world through our Christian worldview. And so by having the investments that we do choose to have, we can have that material positive impact by seeking to have change uh, and at the same time seeking to have uh, a rate of return for our investors that we believe is, is not having to have a Christian discount, so to speak, that you can have your faith and you can have your return that you need for your investment objectives as well.
0: And there's a lot of anxiety over this war uh, worldwide, especially here in the United States, but many Christians believe this is biblical prophecy being fulfilled. So how should we respond with our finances and prayer?
1: Uh, respond with prayer first and foremost. Uh, Any time of, of distress like this, uh, the only way to turn is to God and to think about um, what is what is at play. You know, God of course uh, knows exactly what's at play, and it, it's for us to to rely on Him and put our faith in the Lord, uh, especially in these troubled times, which there seems to be more and more of these troubled times as as we get further into man's history. Uh, but the other thing we can do too is is not be fearful. You know, the Lord also calls us to be bold and brave uh, in our faith and standing pat with those who who we ally ourselves with. Um, so praying for Israel, praying for the people, praying for a peaceful resolution is certainly what we need to do, uh, but not being fearful. At the same time, we are certainly here on earth as humans for this uh, short period of time, and we want to make sure that we are doing what we can to uh, continue to prepare ourselves, keep our focus on the long term for those investment goals and objectives we're seeking to have.
0: And be good stewards, right? Yes, sir. Okay, Brandon Pizarro, thank you for providing us with your insights. We appreciate it. God bless you.
1: All right, you too. Thank you.
0: Michelle Obama for president in 2024. Sound far fetched? Our next guest believes the former first lady is already taking steps to become the Democrats presidential nominee. Joel Gilbert is author of the book Michelle Obama 2024, Her Real Life Story and Plan for Power. He's also director of the movie Michelle Obama 2024. Okay, Joel, so... Why would Michelle Obama want to leave a quiet life of luxury, a home in Hawaii, Martha's Vineyard, and D.C., uh, just to return to politics and life in the White House? Well, they pretty
2: much, uh, the Obamas have been in politics for years. They never really left it. They never left Washington, D.C. I make the case in in my book and film, Michelle Obama 2024, that Michelle has actually been following the exact same formula that Barack did to become president. Uh, Barack was the keynote speaker for John Kerry in 2004 at the Democrat Convention. Sure enough, Michelle introduced Joe Biden at the 2024 convention, the 2020 convention, rather. Barack wrote two autobiographies before running for president. Michelle just came out with her second autobiography, her best-selling Best Com- uh, Becoming and The Light We Carry. They're also both on Netflix. And Barack had a voter registration organization called Project Vote, Michelle's been running around the country, funded by the Soros Group for $26 bucks, with her group called When We All Vote. So I think she's been running for president, uh, you know, under the radar. And I think the Democrat Party set it up for her. They moved the first primary out of Iowa, where she would have had to campaign in 100 counties, to South Carolina, where half the electorate of the Democrat primary voters are African-American. And they moved the... DNC DEMOCRAT CONVENTION, TO CHICAGO, MICHELLE'S HOMETOWN OF ALL PLACES. SO WE HAVE A DECEMBER 23RD DEADLINE TO GET ON ALL THE PRIMARY BALLOTS. SO I'M PREDICTING THAT MICHELLE WILL ENTER THE RACE IN NOVEMBER, ABOUT FOUR OR FIVE WEEKS FROM NOW, AND THAT'S WHEN SHE'LL MAKE HER MOVE.
0: AND YOUR BOOK TELLS MICHELLE OBAMA'S REAL LIFE STORY. SO WHAT ARE SOME HIGHLIGHTS OF HER REAL LIFE STORY AND JUST HOW QUALIFIED IS SHE TO BE PRESIDENT?
2: Well, the most striking thing I learned is about Michelle's terrible relationship with the black community in Chicago. Uh, I detail how in her childhood, she ran away from the black community. She refused to study with other black kids, even though there was a high school, for example, one block from her house, a beautiful high school. The problem was it was all black. So she went an hour and a half away to a magnet school. Her brother went to an expensive Catholic school, all white, to avoid going to black schools, even though they weren't even Catholic. So Michelle never had any black friends. The kids would beat her up and call her an Oreo, meaning you're black on the outside, but you're really white girl on the inside. She had no black friends. And then in her professional career, she exploited the black community working for the mayor of Chicago. She made 20,000 black residents homeless when she knocked down the projects as assistant planning commissioner. Uh, And then when she worked for the University of Chicago Medical Center, Her job was to deny access to health care to Southside black residents. When they showed up at the emergency room, Michelle would put them in a van and ship them back to the Southside.
0: And she was friends with a known terrorist, right?
2: Well, that's another big thing I discovered. People have heard about the theory that Jack Cashel, I think, proved that Bill Ayers, one of the heads of the Weather Underground, helped Barack Obama to write his Dreams from My Father autobiography. Well, in fact, Michelle Obama was best friends with his wife, Bernadine Dorn. They worked together at a law firm for a couple years. And I think Michelle was radicalized by Bernadine Dorn. Uh, Barack and Michelle went to their house for dinner in the 90s every week for years. And all that anti-American nonsense that Michelle was spewing in 2008 when she was campaigning for Barack about how we're all afraid of each other, the politics of fear how we have to change America. That's all directly from the Weather Underground literature. So that was a big revelation about Michelle's political influence by these domestic terrorists.
0: And, Joel, American voters rejected one former first lady when she ran for president Hillary Clinton. Joe Biden's already running. Polls show if the election were held today... Donald Trump would soundly beat Biden. So how about Michelle Obama? She's the most popular woman in the country. Would Democrats have a better chance of holding the right, uh, White House with her as her candidate against Trump?
2: Yeah, look, Michelle's had 15 years of all positive publicity, hundreds of magazine covers, hundreds of interviews. She's got these autobiographies. She has a huge following. She's been developing 100 million followers on social media. And uh, she does have an emotional connection to uh, millions of Americans, and especially the minority and women's groups that she's been working on for years. So she'd be a formidable candidate as opposed to Hillary, where people kind of hated her and were sick of her.
0: Okay, how do you see this playing out then? It doesn't appear Biden's ready to step aside. So tell us a little bit about what your thoughts are.
2: Yeah, look, uh, Biden is a very unpopular politician. The Democrats don't want him. Everybody thinks he's too old. The down ballot Democrats are terrified that he'll bring down the ticket. So at this point, I don't even think Biden has to drop out, just like Ted Kennedy ran against Jimmy Carter. Uh, Biden, if he wants to be really stubborn, he can stay in the race all he wants. And Michelle will declare, I think, in November she'll be way ahead in all the polls. And by the time they get to South Carolina for the first primary, she'll trounce Biden if he's still in the race. Don't forget, Biden came in fifth place in Iowa, fifth place in New Hampshire in 2020, It was only South Carolina where Jim Clyburn helped him get out the African-American vote that gave him one primary victory, and then everybody dropped out. So you can see kind of the fix was in for Biden for a number of reasons, but that's not going to be the case if Michelle is the nominee.
0: Okay, Joel Gilbert, author of the Michelle Obama 2024 movie uh, and book. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it.
2: Yeah, you can, by the way, see the film on SalemNow.com. You can live stream it, also Amazon Prime Video And then the book and DVD are on Amazon.com.
0: Okay. Thank you, Joel. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Church closures didn't end with the COVID pandemic. Campus Reform Report Syracuse University has shut the doors of a church on university property for upholding biblical views on sexuality. Orange officials say the church is violating the university's standards of inclusion. Well, here with more is campus reform correspondent at Syracuse University, Daniel Efrens. So, Daniel, tell us what's happening there. I understand the church was holding services in a ballroom at Drumlin's Country Club. So what happened that got the university so upset?
3: Well, uh, Syracuse University, my university, in fact, pretty much terminated uh, the church's ability to worship in Drumlin's Country Club because of intolerance and because they violated the university's inclusion policies. But in reality, they were just holding the basic Christian belief that homosexual activity is a sin.
0: And and for that, the university got upset. Why?
3: Well, I think it's just a chosen horse for what they really want. If you don't adhere to progressive values, then you can kick the curb. That's what Syracuse University said. That's what many universities across the nation has been saying to Christian students across the nation. The Leadership Institute's campus reform has reported many many of these instances. For example, a Christian student organization being persecuted by school administrators for the betterment of five years until they won a federal court case. And also two students from the community college of all places in Georgia. They had to go to the Supreme Court to share their faith with their classmates.
0: Well, uh, back to Syracuse, I'm I'm sure some people would say, uh, this is university property. They should be able to set the rules for any group that rents space from them. What do you think?
3: I think that that's a very valid point, but you also cannot tell a... Syracuse University prides itself on having a diverse uh, slot of different religions and whatnot but it it can't be diverse if you're just watering down in religions and saying that they can't hold any standards of their own
0: yeah it seems like syracuse u is trying to impose its beliefs on a church and that would probably be a violation of the first amendment to the u.s constitution freedom of religion freedom of speech what do you think about that
3: yeah it 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 seems so is that as a clear-cut case as a public university but it is definitely, as a Christian myself, it is quite infuriating to see what Syracuse University is doing to honest, ordinary Americans. They're not even students who just simply want to worship every Sunday.
0: Well, how is Radiant Church? I understand that's Radiant Church and, and Pastor Jason there responding.
3: I'm sure they have some some actions that they, they, they want to take me personally. I really do want them to take some action against Syracuse University. I am a practicing Christian. But I am a son of a pastor and even in New York City I grew up in New York City, I was at least taught in New York City to, to respect people of other religions and uh, don't water down and don't water down what they believe in.
0: Well, they may have a, a good case on free speech rather than freedom of religion because it is uh, Syracuse University property, but it is a public institution. So is this happening on other college campuses, this type of thing? What It might have set an anti-Christian trend here.
3: It is definitely an anti-Christian trend. I talked about the two former examples, you know, and the and campus reform has reported put on many more examples than just like the Christian student organization that was prosecuted by a school administration for five years. I mean, students, it's not even just school administrators. Students have even sued the Department of Education to get, to strip federal funding from Christian schools, even though they chose to go to those schools, and they cite intolerance and a lack of inclusion, just as Syracuse University cited that same, you know, inclusion uh, narrative in order to remove uh, Radiant Church.
0: Okay, Daniel, you may get your student loans paid off, but you won't be able to worship in church freely and say what you think. Uh, Daniel Efron's Campus Reform Correspondent at Syracuse. Thank you, Daniel, for being with us. We appreciate it.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: In the immediate aftermath of the Hamas terror attacks on Israel, anti-Semites came out of the woodwork for the whole world to see. One of the worst and most visible displays of anti-Jewish hatred occurred in Sydney, Australia, where 1,000 pro-Palestinian protesters gathered outside the opera house and shouted, gas, and F the
1: Jews. It's important for us to show exactly what they're saying because they're not even saying, F the Israelis mm. or F the Zionists. They're saying f the Jews. Listen to what they're saying,
3: and that's what we've been arguing the whole time that this is about. This is not about. It, this is about their hatred towards Jews. Australia's News Seven
0: talked to Israel supporter Mark Spiro, who was arrested for displaying an Israeli flag at that event.
2: You've been arrested in relation to arrested,
0: arrested. for doing what? For what? Having a flag. For the you see how this is in Oz. You're free to display Palestinian flags and shout anti-Semitic slogans, but displaying an Israeli flag gets you arrested. Here in the U.S., radio talk show host Jason Rance posted a video of a rally in Seattle where protesters celebrated the slaughter of innocent Israeli civilians. And in Washington, D.C., Fox News correspondent Hillary Vaughn, press squad member, Michigan Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, about Hamas's brutality toward the Jewish people. Do you condone what Hamas has done, chopping off babies' heads, burning children alive, raping women in the street? As rescue teams recovered the bodies of innocent Israeli women and babies from the villages attacked by the Hamas terrorists, Tlaib and another member of the squad, Congresswoman Cori Bush, called for an end to U.S. assistance to Israel. Hamas murdered at least 1,200 Israelis in that attack, Proportionately, based on population, if an attack on that scale happened in the United States, that would be the equivalent of 44,000 Americans murdered in one attack. Folks, that's nearly 15 times more than the number of Americans that died in the 9-11 attacks in New York, the Pentagon, and Pennsylvania. As Bibi Netanyahu and the Israeli government plot their next move, may they have wisdom for an exit strategy. This could be a prolonged conflict lasting years. What then? Does anyone believe the Palestinians will give up the fight against Israel? They teach their children from a young age to kill Jews. They believe their justification comes from the Islamic holy book, the Quran, which states in Surah Al-Baqarah 2-191, kill them wherever you find them, and expel them from wherever they have expelled you. And fitna, strife, is worse than killing. In 2022, the United States gave $344 million dollars to the United Nations in support of Palestinian refugees. And in the past, some of that donated taxpayer funds have been used in unrefinanced schools for Palestinian children promoting anti-Semitic propaganda in textbooks and classroom instruction. Whether it's in the streets of Seattle, the halls of Congress, or Gaza, there should be no tolerance of anti-Semitism. And those who enable it through tax dollars, speech, and actions are guilty of fitna, causing strife... In my book, it's not worse than killing, but as we've seen, it leads to brutality, atrocities, murder, and destruction. So keep praying for the peace of Jerusalem, the lives of innocents to be spared, and God's will to be done in Gaza, Israel, and throughout the world. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, YouTube, iTunes, and Rumble. And until next time, be blessed.